Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast where we take established properties and reboot them before Hollywood gets a chance to. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Tanner. Um, Lindsay, I believe it is your go for this episode. Yeah, and okay, so it's October, first of all, so it's spoopy, and I wanted to do something spoopy. Well, it's actually more on the scary side than spoopy. It's supposed to be scary. This whole month is going to be horror or horror adjacent. Yeah. And the thing about this movie is it's probably going to be a bit on the controversial side because I didn't really get around to see it, but I've read a lot about it. I've seen reviews. It also came out recently, so. So we're just getting way ahead of the curve here. Yeah. So, um, you heard about The Nun, right? I've heard about The Nun. Yeah. So, I was reading a synopsis, and it sounded cool. It's part of the Conjuring universe. The Conjuring universe is one of the hottest properties out right now. You know, really good spooky movies, all about fighting demons and all that, because it's originally based off of stuff that the that Ed and Lorraine Warren did. I'm going to, at some point, get Allegedly. It. Allegedly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything... That- that the Warrens did is predicated on whether or not you believe the Warrens. Yeah, and I think there was like, I read an article where one of the guys who collected all of their stories into a book was trying to sue the Conjuring producers yeah. for royalty rights because their movies were also based off of Ed and Lorraine's stuff. And it basically came down to he could only sue for rights if that really happened or not. And wait a second, how come you would get the rights and not Ed and Lorraine? Yeah, and everything is predicated on whether or not you believe in ghosts and demons, especially the demon part. And if you do buy into their brand of Catholicism. So it's only you only get the royalties if you're Catholic. And you can summon satan and say <laughs> and ask him in a court of law hey these people work for you pointing out to like all of these demons and he's like yeah <laughs> there's a joke about lawyers in there somewhere yeah <laughs> so anyway the thing that got me going about the nun aside from it apparently being a very mediocre movie was um so it's set in romania specifically in transylvania apparently you know, hubbub of all things spooky, according to the West, because, you know, vampires and werewolves and Dracula, even though Dracula was only in charge of the place a couple of times for a few short stints before he got by the Ottomans. You know, you put a bunch of heads on sticks <laughs> one time, and all of a sudden you have a reputation. Yeah. It wasn't just the heads on sticks, it was whole bodies on sticks. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> He made a forest of them once. Yeah, how could I forget about the corpse forest? <laughs> so anyway, that all checks out according to the West and all that. But um, does anything sound wrong when you say Romania 1952? Um, I feel like there was some uh, light communism going on in there. <laughs> um, not light. It was actually pretty hardcore. Yeah. Oh, extremely hardcore. The guy in charge, I have practiced his name. Yorge Georgiudej. Nice. Was a big Stalin fanboy. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. So, um, here's what I know what actually happens in The Nun. A Catholic priest and a young novice nun, they get sent to this abbey in Transylvania to go hunt down Valak, the, the nun demon that we see in The Conjuring a couple times. The one that's really cool and everybody is like, ooh, that one's a scary one. The one that got banned from YouTube. Yeah, the one that got banned from YouTube. And they're basically just like running around this abbey trying to defeat this demon with the blood of Christ. Yes, the blood of Christ gets used. <laughs> they just have it on hand? Apparently. And apparently in 1952 in Romania, a Roman Catholic abbey is still running. I'm not the history expert, that's you, but that doesn't sound like a Trax. It absolutely does not, because here's... Well, first of all, the abbey that, they, that the producers decided to set this in, 
they apparently just borrowed the name because this abbey had been dissolved back in the 1400s and was a straight up ruin. Yeah, I was going to ask dissolved as in shut down or dissolved as in there was a siege against it? Uh, shut down. Okay. They kind of got like, I guess another monastery was built and they everybody got absorbed into that one. It's sort of, look, the Catholic Church is essentially a mega corporation. <laughs> if you think of it like that, <laughs> it's like, it's like if Walmart decided that um, they're gonna say in Regina there was like a new neighborhood built and Walmart decided that they're gonna build like another mega store over on, say, the North End. Or, no, a better place would actually be on, like, the Southeast. Because they started to push down there. Let's go with what's actually happening with that area between the Harbor Landing and the airport getting developed, and there is a co-op being built there. Yeah, but say that there was another store that was also a co-op, they would probably just decide, hey, we're going to amalgamate these two together. Okay. So the Catholic Church is the Borg. Yeah, the Catholic Church is the board. Except they weren't that successful in Romania because, first of all, I've actually done the research. Romania is 81% uh, Orthodox. Nice. Yeah. Roman Catholics only make up less than 2% of the population, mostly among the Hungarian minority. So, okay, there would be Roman Catholic churches using the Latin Rite, but by then they were pretty much all gone because those Hungarians had been kicked back to Hungary or had fled further west to like Austria, Germany, France, across the ocean to get away from the communists. Okay. Now for the viewers at home, and also a little about a bit for myself, because it has been a good three years since I've been to university, <laughs> uh, can you give the Cliffs notes on what the major differences between Roman Catholicism and Orthodox? Uh, a very short version is way back in the 11th century, there was a big dispute at, um, I want to say, the Council of Nicaea. This was one of those big councils to determine doctrine and what's going to be in the Bible, what isn't going to be in the Bible. And a big fight over church leadership happened. So in the West, because the uh, the Western Roman Empire was gone, like it had been gone for about 600 years, it was a major power vacuum, and the Catholic Church established itself as the main focus point for all power in Western Europe. And they answered to the Pope, the Pope in Rome. Over in the East, so the Greek-influenced areas uh, of the Eastern Mediterranean, um, the Roman Empire had survived as the Byzantine Empire. So, pretty strong, pretty centralized. Okay, by this point, it was actually on the decline. Um, but they had a series of patriarchs. So, you have the Patriarch of Constantinople, the Patriarch of Athens, the Patriarch of Alexandria, etc. Istanbul. And, no, uh, Istanbul is the name that the Ottomans gave Constantinople. <laughs> We're not getting into that song, okay? But why did Constantinople get the works? <laughs> so, anyway. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what the guys in the East wanted was the patriarchs would all be equal because the Pope is also a patriarch. And they were okay with the Pope being the first among equals. This is like our, you know, with a jury, you have the jury, you have the foreman. And he's the one who says, okay. he, who stands up and gives the verdict and, or whatever. But the... So everyone's a little bit of a Pope, but the Roman Pope is the popest of them all. He speaks for everybody. He's the poppinest of the Popes. Yeah. But he's still you know, equal to these other guys. But the Pope in Rome, of course, wanted to be the top guy in charge, so they got into a big fight, and then they decided there was many a finger given to everybody, lots of fuck yous, and I ex I excommunicate you, and I excommunicate you. Everybody gets excommunicated. <laughs> because If you're excommunicated, and I'm excommunicated, <laughs> then who's flying the church? <laughs> so, that happened. And you get this split in culture and how everything is done and if you go into a roman catholic uh church everything well with uh one of the councils one of the more recent councils they actually allowed for liturgy to be done in the local languages but it used to be just exclusively latin and 
you know, everybody knows what the Roman what a Roman Catholic church service looks like. I don't really need to explain. I don't. I don't. I mean, you don't have to explain it to me, but I managed to avoid that. Okay. Yeah. Be- oh, yeah, because you're the religious studies minor who managed to get all the cool Eastern religion classes while I got stuck with all of the Christian with all of the big three. <laughs> the big yeah. three Abrahamic stuff. Oh, well. Big- yeah, you, you got all the mainstream religions, and I'm over here like, I want to see what the deal is with Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily you didn't get suckered in, so yeah. Um. So anyway, you know the whole trope: Christianity is Catholic. Yeah, it's our go-to shorthand in the West for what churches look like. But if you go to an Orthodox church, you're going to notice first of all gold just everywhere. <laughs> it is the most blingingest church out there because they've got all the gold vestments and all the crowns and everything is very covered in gold. It's also very like kind of uh more eastern looking because this was mostly situated in like Greece. Uh it got up into Russia and the Slavic regions and it was also heavily influenced by the Ottomans because that area got taken over by the Ottomans for quite a while. So yeah, so it a lot of this stuff pops up in the places that causes Eurocentrists to start pulling their hair out trying to explain no Europe and Asia are totally different. There wasn't any crossover. It's like <laughs> fuck you has always been like this. Lots of crossover since forever. And oh, yeah. um the liturgy um it's either done in Greek or it's done in old church Slavonic. Nice. Which is sort of like a proto Old Church Slavonic is the land to modern-day Slavic languages, basically. Okay. Because the Slavic languages didn't split apart until fairly recently in terms of languages. So, like, we're still talking about, like, the 600s or so, but even then, that's pretty recent when you compare it to, like, the splitting of Latin or um, the splitting of the Germanic languages and all that. Yeah, because those are all in BC eras. Yeah, pretty much. So those are the big Cliff Notes differences, and Romania fell under the influence of the Byzantine Empire, because at times it was part of the Byzantine Empire, then it got kind of part of the Bulgar Empire, and yeah, it's been swapped all over the place. And Romania, as we know it, like the kind of square-ish shaped country that if you looked on the map and I pointed to Romania, that's what you saw. That's actually a fairly recent creation. That's post-World War One. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, because when Romania gained independence from the Ottomans, it was just like Wallachia, which is the south, and Moldovia, which is their um, it's like the east and the northeast. It borders like Ukraine and Poland. Okay. Yeah. Transylvania was part of Hungary for a very long time. That's why you have like a lot of Hungarians moved into there. Okay. And that's also why if you ever read anything about Vlad Dracula, he has a lot of shit with the Hungarians. So much shit. <laughs> it's kind of I like I do recall that from the historian. Yeah. It's kind of like a primer in Hungarian history, Hungarian medieval history. It is wild. Yeah. So basically that's the big difference. And in Romania, even with the Catholic Church presence, because there's a branch of Catholicism called the Eastern Rite Church. So they basically have everything that the Eastern Orthodox has, including, here's another thing that most people don't know about the Eastern Orthodox Church. Their priests are allowed to marry before they're ordained. Nice. Yeah. I subscribe to the thought that if Roman Catholic priests were allowed to marry, half the problems would not be there. Are you allowed to have uh, lady priests in the Eastern Orthodoxy? No, but honestly, having at least one sexual outlet might be better than having none at all. It's, yeah, better than nothing, I yeah. guess. <laughs> okay, maybe not half of the problems, but y- you know what? relief some tension right there. Yeah. And like the wives of the Orthodox priests do perform important roles, especially in more of the day-to-day maintenance of the churches and all that. Okay. Okay. Well that's something I guess. Yeah. So uh the Eastern Rite Catholics have all of that, but they acknowledge the Pope as the Pope in Rome as their leader. So 
by the time the 50s roll around and Romania is under communist control, they get forcibly absorbed into the Orthodox Church because the Orthodox Church is willing to play ball with the communists if it means they can survive. And the communists are like, hey, we can use you to tell the super religious and super superstitious peasants to obey us. Yeah. Didn't a lot of communism try and stamp out most religions, though? Yeah, because, well, Marx's old adage, um, religion is the opiate of the people. Hmm. But if we can get the people hooked on our opiates... All the better. Yeah. And one of the easiest ways to do that is through the church, because they're already going to church. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a big problem with the nun, is... And a big problem I have with a lot of movies that are, technically speaking, period pieces is when they completely don't acknowledge history. Because this is a movie where, like, the easy remake for this, the easy way to solve a lot of problems would just be to retcon the setting. And be like, this is the night... You can still keep it in the 50s and all that. Like, this is supposed to be a prequel to a lot of the other Conjuring movies. Um, but they could have said set it anywhere... I don't know, this could still be in the States somewhere. Yeah. Or Mexico, or South America, or Spain, France, Germany, uh, Italy, Austria. Like, you didn't need to set it on the other side of the Iron Curtain, but you did. So now I'm here to fix that. And, act and it's like, well, it's so weird because when you set stuff in those places, it's usually so that you can take advantage of all the Cold War stuff going on. Yeah. And they just kind of drove right past that. Yeah, they completely ignored it. And it's like... Why bother? So, I'm going into this remake with a mindset of the producers actually did do a Wikipedia search on Romania and stumbled onto that whole communism part of their history. <laughs> you click on the communism tab and just in like 36 point font it just says yes. <laughs> so, yeah, um... Let's see, what do I have some of the fixes? Um, as I said earlier, you can still technically keep this a Roman Catholic abbey. That prior to 1947. Okay, so 1947 is a really important year in Romanian history. Actually, there's two important years that I'm going to bring up. 1944, which was when the very young King Michael, when I say young, he was like our age when he staged a coup against Ion Antonescu, who was... He was actually the guy in charge of Romania. So Romania, back in the day, had allied themselves with Nazi Germany. Because Antonescu was a fucking fascist. I kind of brought up the whole fascist history of Romania in one of our religious studies classes. Because one of the guys that we were studying was, um... He was kind of a big-time fan of fascism. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. Mercia Eliadi. Remember him? Uh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So... Yeah, I brought up that uncomfortable bit of his past. Um, so anyway, King Michael realized that, you know, by 1944, this is pretty bad. We're going to get fucking crushed by the Soviets. So, um, Antonescu, you're fired and uh, you're going to get just executed, like, right out there. You're fired. Out of a cannon. Yeah, basically. Um... And uh, Romania managed to switch sides to the Allies just in time. They're liberated. And uh, the Soviets pounce on this opportunity by putting their people in charge of like the actual government side of things. And Michael is not okay with this because, of course, he's a king. Yeah. <laughs> Kings and communism do not go, to go well together. He's... And he's also 25 years old. He's a millennial, Ephron Hart. He's ahead of his time fighting fascism. Yep. And he gets the boot three years later. Ah, uh, bummer. By the communists. Yeah. Because Stalin be like that. Stalin does not like democracy. No. No. So Stalin puts... Or medical attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look when you put the when you put the fear of Stalin into everybody, and they hear a thud in the room, but know that they can't enter lest he start yelling at you. You don't <laughs> enter the room. <laughs> everybody, go watch the death of Stalin. Okay, it is the best. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, 1947 is when the communists officially take over under Georgi Georgiou Day. Dej, God. Uh, 
Look, Jays in Europe are stupid. I don't know how we've ever managed to quote-unquote Romanize Slavic names. (laughs) Well, Romania isn't even a Slavic area! Like, yeah, it's got all the trappings of the Slavs, but their language is a romance language because... <laughs> is is Romanian a competitor for English when it comes to languages that are just other language forms slammed together in the hopes that something works? Maybe, given that it's like in it's in between, like it's sandwiched between a whole bunch of like the Eastern Slavs and the Southern Slavs, and then there's the Greeks, then there's the Turks and the Hungarians, which is its own fucking mess. Anyway. We got full-bore communism, and we got the guy in charge who's the big old Stalin fanboy, so one of the first things he's gonna do is, of course, dissolve all of these Roman Catholic abbeys, because the Roman Catholics are not playing ball with them at all. The abbey that the nun is gonna be set at has been turned into a re-education center for- Oh, yikes. Yeah. That's gonna be great, feeding ground for a demon. Yeah, okay, so I do want to ask because I also have not seen The Nun. I'm not yeah. a big horror movie person. I saw the trailer I think and neither I was like, of us mm, are... I'll be having none of that. Yeah. Yeah, so this is going to be about as dark as I can make this premise. But, like, I did, I also did a quick Wikipedia search as soon as I got the inkling that you would be bringing this up at some point. Mm-hmm. And from what I recall, like, uh, Valak has been trapped underneath this church for literal centuries. Yeah. Is this still going on after they turn it into a re-education center? Um, well, the big thing that starts this whole, that starts the whole movie is that the seal that was keeping Valak sealed away gets disturbed because, um, I don't know, some bomber during World War II has to unload a payload or whatever to get back to their base and the pressure and bombs going off is what causes it to break so we could actually keep that and it's just Velox's tomb or whatever is in a sub-basement that maybe they haven't found like it is specifically hidden because of course you don't want anybody to touch this thing yeah you want to keep people as far away as possible from the evil demon and the possible gate to hell Spoilers. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Especially So are there are there nuns sneaking down there to like keep praying or whatever to keep I'm gonna say no. That's oh, okay. one of the big problems is um once the nuns have either fled or been sent to other places to be re educated or you know, nine millimeters to the back of the head. E. Yeah. As I said, this is gonna get dark. Um Nobody has been down in that basement. Nobody knows about, say, the sub-basement. So you have this re-education center that has been made in this old abbey. And um, I was reading the reviews for The Nun, and everybody liked the performances of the main characters, of the main actors. So I'm going to keep them. I'm just going to recast their roles. So all the actors are the same. You're just rewriting all the characters. Yeah, basically. Okay. To fit history. So... Uh, the guy who played the priest, um, what's his name? I got him here. Uh, Demian Bichir? Bichir? He's Mexican, so I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. He is going to be a, an NKVD commissar because at the time Romania was very close to the USSR. Of course it's going to be a commissar there. To make sure everything is going according to plan. Tysa Tej... Tysa... Tysa Farmiga. Yeah, Farmiga. She's going to be one of the... Uh, young and very enthusiastic communist teachers there who is trying to get these guys <laughs> to become proper functioning productive citizens of this new people's <laughs> republic <laughs> i'm just <laughs> central casting right here all of the communist stereotypes. Why not? Just go full hog on this. Yeah. <laughs> Just the zeal of the converts and all that. And Jonah Bloquet, uh, he played Frenchy. I'm going to make him a Catholic missionary who gets caught and gets sent there because, uh, yeah, we got nothing better to do with you. So what's he even doing there then? Is he getting reeducated? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, good luck trying to tell a Catholic missionary 
hey, you know what? Don't be Catholic anymore. Everything you know is wrong. Also, the Catholic Church is a fucking scam. Which it kind of is. But how are you going to convince a Catholic missionary that? I don't know. Maybe tell him about the rat lines. Should I expound upon what the rat lines were? What are the rat lines? Okay, so there were fascist sympathizers within the Catholic Church, and a bunch of them- Oh, God. Yeah, a bunch of them helped get a bunch of Nazis over, mostly to Argentina. God, fuck a rat line. Yeah. Like, there were really good Catholic priests who risked their lives, and members of the Catholic Church who risked their lives to protect- Jews and members of the Allied forces and resistance members and actually participated in the resistance and spread resistance uh, information and propaganda. Like, they're great. They should be celebrated. They should be turned into saints. But fuck a rat line. Yeah, but fuck a rat line. So, I don't know. Maybe they use that to break this guy's, or at least a way to potentially break this guy's faith by saying, hey, members of your own church who are probably never going to be prosecuted for this helped war criminals escape. How do you feel about that? I feel so bad that the darkness in my heart is probably gonna summon a demon from hell. Yeah. So, the big thing I want to do, because a big criticism of, of this film was overusing jump scares, and I really want to do more of a psychological horror, like something more... I don't know, Hitchcockian. Very slow build, a lot of kind of fucking around with perception and all that, because you're already in a very tense situation. Yeah. So you don't really need, all of a sudden there's a jump scare. You don't need the people jumping, the audience jumping out of their seat right away. You need to fill them with a sense of dread. And already this is a pretty terrible situation. We're just going to make it worse and worse and worse. And because Valak's the seal on Valak's tomb has been broken, Valak's influence slowly starts creeping into the prison and starts getting at the prisoners and the guards and brings out like even more of the worst in everybody, slowly but surely. And you wouldn't really know whether these are people who are being influenced by Valak or if they're just breaking under the strain of everything that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, you could crib some stuff from like the Stanford prison experiment because when you put people in charge of other people sometimes the worst in them does come out yeah Ooh. yeah so our main character this is such a bummer episode <laughs> last week was all fun and teenagers being friends this week it's like the worst examples of the communists <laughs> causing the corruption in the souls of humanity <laughs> <laughs> I secretly grow horns. <laughs> oh no, you were Valak the whole time. <laughs> this has all been a backdoor pilot for the secret podcast horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this actually might be one of our shorter episodes and me mostly talking about communist history and all that. But Yeah. <laughs> The big thing would be eventually our three main characters, because the Catholic priest character is probably the one who gets the sense that there is something really wrong here, and it might not be human. And that's like, that would probably be about the time that they start seeing shit, like, you know, the figure of the nun and the shadows and all that sort of stuff. But by this point, the audience is still like, is this purely in their head or is this actual supernatural shit going on? And maybe a couple people have gone down to the basement and weird shit has gone down there. in there. Or they've just gone down and not come back. Yeah, gone down and not come back. And that's when you're like, okay, let's, st- maybe we should we're not going to take him fully seriously, but let's get that priest and just like ask him what the fuck's going on. Because also, our two other main characters, the Commissar and the Educator, I'm going to say that their main references for religion are probably going to be Orthodox Christianity and some form of Judaism. Because yeah, there was a lot of Jewish people who were living in Eastern Europe until the Nazis came about. Mm-hmm. So they might realize, oh, we're in a Roman Catholic, former a former Roman Catholic abbey. Got a Roman Catholic priest here. Hey, French dude, what the F's going on? And he's like, demons. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, it's like, one of the other things I read was that there's a lot of uh, just background events where Vilok is just chilling as the chilling nun. In the background, and you yeah. S- 
see them out of focus, basically being Slender Nun. Yeah. <laughs> Slender Man. Which is creepy in its own way, but I think that was another oh, yeah. uh, thing that was a bit overused. But you could just have, like, scenes where people are talking about whatever, and there's, like, he's just standing in the window, and you don't notice because there's no attention being drawn yeah. to him. And I was also thinking, because I just remembered Fight Club and the whole, like, subliminally cutting in uh, shit. So, like, you would have just, like, one frame of Valak at some point. You don't actually see it when the film is... Okay, this works better with actual film, but, like, the principle of, like, maybe having, like, a split second of Valak being there. Yeah. But you would actually have to slow down and go through the film frame by frame for all you nerds out there until you found it. But in the audience, you kind of... It helps build that sense of dread. Well, it'd be like someone goes down to investigate the basement because whoever didn't come back yet and looking around with a flashlight and there can just be one frame of Valak's face behind them. Yeah. And so you'd see, because like with the contrast and everything, you see this glimpse of just something behind them, but you have to buy the Blu-ray and slow it down and go frame by frame. Like, oh, there he is. Oh, snap. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff like that. And yeah, just like wait until... You blow your load, basically, at the end. When things are really... The prison is in full riot mode. There's a full revolt revolt going on that they're trying to suppress. They're bringing in fucking machine guns up top. Everything's going... People are dying everywhere. There's blood everywhere. There's crazy stuff going on with demon stuff. And shit's being thrown all over the place. And then you have our heroes down in the basement. And... By this point, they have realized it's a demon, and they gotta fight it, and they find certain MacGuffins early on that they use now to battle it. They Lob a crucifix at them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they bring a flamethrower. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the church still somehow has the blood of Christ. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they found Which... some relics there and, I don't know, toss it aside. At Where point. did you get it from? Did you ship it in from in fucking Bruges? <laughs> Look, that's more plot details that would be like, okay, let's have this MacGuffin here. They're j- or maybe they sent for it somewhere, or it got shipped somewhere, or maybe they realized, oh shit, we don't have it anymore because we destroyed it by accident. Yeah, oh, I think I like that one, that they destroyed it, because that is certainly up their alley. Yeah, why do we need this anymore? Okay, what else? You said, I, I would say that for the finale... While the protagonists are confronting Volok directly, the riot going on elsewhere, it shouldn't be, like, it can be demon influence, but it should be framed as, like, a prison riot, yeah, basically. Yeah, That the, the prisoners are breaking out, and the populace is turning against the incumbent communist forces, and they're all fighting, and You know it's audience, gonna be crushed, though. It's gonna be terrible, and the audience knows that at least part of it is because of Volok, but at a certain point, you're aware that... Like, he's just been exacerbating these already existing tensions. Yeah. Because, okay, I've actually looked up Valak. Valak doesn't seem all that powerful. At least according to, like, actual demonology sources. Yeah, he's a president of hell, but what is the president to a duke or a prince of hell? Yeah. What what rank does the owl with really long legs hold? <laughs> oh... Hey, man, I, I have to look him up because he's my favorite demon. <laughs> Stolas. Oh, he's... Stolas is the 36th demon of the Ars Goetia. Ah, uh, da-da-da-da. He's the great prince of hell, or sometime, sometimes simply a prince, and commands specifically 26 legions of de- other demons. Nice. Uh, bears superlative knowledge of astronomy, the value of precious stones, and the effectiveness of herbs or poisonous plants, and he will impart that knowledge to those who summon him. Yeah. The whole thing with demon summoning is like, yeah, you can do it, and yeah, that you know you get some sweet benefits, but um, comes at the cost of your soul. Do you really want to do that? Well, and that also depends on who you're talking to, yeah. because a lot of demons are just, well, you're supernatural, but you're not Jesus, so you must be a demon. Yeah, like all the all the loner demons that are just like straight up gods from other religions and Christianity was like mm, no we don't like that you you're not us so yeah. you must be bad yeah these were the gods who weren't popular enough to just be turned into saints like Saint Bridget oh 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess because she was Celtic before. Yeah, she was a Celtic right? goddess, yeah. and she was super popular in Ireland, and the St. Patrick and the other missionaries are probably like, oh, I can't exactly get them to like abandon Bridget. Why don't we make her into a saint? There is an alternate universe somewhere where they had to saint a really sketchy god <laughs> just because they were so popular. <laughs> Like, there's an alternate universe that has Satan or Gaul. <laughs> yes! <laughs> an alternate- The same alternate universe also has, like, a Saint Odin. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he is also Father Christmas. So, yeah, the Prison Riot is- It's more, like, Valak's making the situation worse, but this was going to happen anyway at some point. But, of course, you know, they call them the Soviets, and- Bam, 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 bam. And Valak is feeding off of this yeah. because demons like thrive on chaos. And it's like, yes, and with the destruction of humanity above, my demonic power grows daily. I don't know what accent this is. <laughs> but our heroes do manage to at least, from all appearances, get rid of Valak. Because we know th this is a prequel. Valak's going to turn up again. Yes. Well, doesn't he, like, mark someone? Yeah. And then he marks... they release him later on? Yeah. He marks uh, Jonah Bloquet's character. So in the movie, in The Nun, he plays a guy called Frenchie, who is a random French dude in Romania. I don't know. Maybe he was a resistance I thought fighter. he was French-Canadian. No. I think but... he's actually French-Canadian. Okay, maybe his character is French-Canadian, but his actor is from, like, Belgium, I think. Yeah, but the character is French-Canadian. Okay, so the character is French-Canadian, who is, I don't know, maybe he was part of the SOE and got sent into Romania during World War II, and for whatever reason, he's still there. <laughs> As I said, they could have made this so much simpler for everything by saying, oh yeah, this is in Quebec! <laughs> it would have made more sense! But no, they had to set it in Romania, and pedantic nerds like me, who actually, like, <laughs> I, my, one of my favorite points of history is the Cold War, especially from 1945, like, minutes after the surrender of Berlin, <laughs> when the U.S. Great Britain and the Soviet Union were looking at each other going, your move, <laughs> and up until the end of the Cuban Missile Crisis. In 1961. Like, th th those are my two favorite periods. You either die accepting plot contrivances, or you live long enough to see yourself become the pedantic nerd. Yeah, well, this plot contrivance is so stupid, because I think even most people who have, uh, who don't even know that much, who don't know anything about Romania, but at least know, hey, isn't that in Eastern Europe, and wasn't most of Eastern Europe behind the Iron Curtain during the Cold War, would go, wait... This movie couldn't work at all. Like, at the very least, why isn't there, like, some fucking commissar hovering around the entire time? You just have a fourth character. Or change Bloquet's character entirely to a commissar. Or a member of the Securitate. If you want to be, like, you know, actually do your homework and go, okay, who was the people in charge of security in Romania? Oh, it's the Securitate. There. Maybe Dirk Commissar was in town, but they never saw him because they didn't turn around. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh <laughs> yeah, okay. I know that the English version is better known, but look up Falco's version in German. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to listen to that after this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have De Commissar playing. You have um, Pet Shop Boys, because one of the, one of the guys who's, he was part of the Pet Shop Boys. He was really into the Cold War and Cold War history and all that. Uh, West End Girls was not just about girls from the West End of London, but also West Berlin versus East Berlin. He's always making references to that. Oh, okay. Hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> just all the great Cold War hits are playing yep. somewhere, at, somewhere at some point. So anyway, you have the big... Like at the at the ending, like after they think they've defeated Volek, and then it's got like, we are ordinary people. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> it ends on a freeze frame high five. <laughs> 
So, does the this nun remake does it affect anything else in the grander Conjuring universe? Probably not. Probably not. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know. It's basically just a prequel to two. It's a prequel to the Conjuring. Yeah, to the Conjuring two because Valak is shows up in that one. Even though, okay, the big thing about the Conjuring two is that it's based on the Anfield Poltergeist uh case, and yeah, the Warrens were there for all of a day. <laughs> yeah, so apparently the mom of that family didn't even let the Warrens into her, her own house. It was it was actually the guys from the British uh, Society for Cyclical Research who did most of the investigating on that. Hmm. Yeah, the Warrens just took credit for it because the Warrens are <sighs> fucking con artists. That's what they are. Yeah, that that's what I've heard. Yeah. So this is where I get into my rant about the Warrens. Um, they were regular old ghost hunters until 1973 when The Exorcist came out. Oh, and they're like, mm, this is our brand now. Yeah, demons. Everything's yep. demons. Yep. And then the uh, DeFeo family murders in Amityville, New York took place. <laughs> and <laughs> okay, the DeFeo family is so stereotypically Long Island Italians. <laughs> Also, every single thing about Amityville, except for the murders, was a scam. Yeah, because what happened is the murders happened, and then Butch DeFeo Jr.'s lawyer um, was like, oh, I gotta defend this fucking psycho somehow. Um, insanity defense. He claims that he was possessed by demons, and how are you supposed to summon Satan in a court of law? <laughs> I would love I would love it if, if, if there was a comic or some or like a show somewhere that was like infernal law or whatever. This season on how to get away with murder. <laughs> We're so insane. Insane becomes like a professional character witness. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it. It's just a regular court. Someone's playing. Oh yeah, demons possess me. And then the prosecution <laughs> calls Satan as their witness. <laughs> the room goes dark. There's the giant red circle with a pentagram lights up, and then all of a sudden, Lucifer himself is there, and he <laughs> he can't swear on a Bible because well, yeah, <laughs> it'll burst into flames. <laughs> but. He does, I don't know, swear to that everything he says is the truth. I the whole swear time. to dad. <laughs> Even though I fucking hate dad. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that as soon as someone is added to the witness record, both the prosecution and the defense can call them. Yeah. And, you know, if, if anyone's going to make sure that Satan gives a good testimony, it would be Annalise Keating. Yes. She she calls upon the devil and she's like, "Listen, you know everyone's sin. You're going to tell us exactly who's responsible for this, and you're also going to keep your mouth shut about our own bullshit." <laughs> and he's like, "I still get all of your souls." Sure. Yeah, that show's going to end in tears. Yeah. Which means it can never end at all. Oh God. <laughs> Look, it won't end until basically everybody in it is dead. This is true. Yeah. I want it to keep going forever. <laughs> I want it to get as ridiculous from preposterous as they can. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, yeah, the entire Amityville thing was, like, the haunting part was invented by Bush DeFeo's lawyer to get him off, and then uh, some convoluted uh, selling the rights to the stories bullshit happened because the lawyer also wanted a whole bunch of money. And yeah, because the lawyer would like teamed up with the realtor too yeah. when they were selling the property. Yeah, and they basically convinced the Lutzes, the family that moved in, and experienced the weird stuff going on. Like, okay, you're moving into a house that six months earlier, six people were killed in, and yeah, there are still some questions about like what actually happened because there's some people who have postulated that one of the other DeFeo kids, the eldest daughter, might have helped out Butch, and then the shit went really wrong and he ended up killing her and also the gun he used was really loud and how did nobody hear the gun go off yeah there's a whole bunch of other questions it was Valak. <laughs> it wasn't fucking demons demons don't exist regardless of the all the scams that did come out of amityville how is that house not wicked haunted yeah it really should be at the very least residual haunting because 
look, this was, this fam the DeFeo family was also like fucked up, like just terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, and pretty much everything else because the problem with the Warrens is that they're con artists who actually believe their own con. Oh no. Yeah, like they totally buy in into this really specific form of Catholicism, and they believe that they're fighting demons. Well, they believed in the in the past tense because Ed. Warren passed away back in like 2007 or whatever and Lorraine is still around but she's like in her 90s now but yeah like they believe their own shit and they it didn't help that they were kind of part of the whole milieu that created the satanic panic back in the 80s oh boy and led to the rise of people going and getting exorcisms when they really needed to go see a fucking psychologist or just literally sitting on one session of D&D yeah and I had the privilege of explaining to my mother mazes and monsters the other day. <laughs> oh no! No, she was all she knew about it was that it was related to D and D, and Tom Hanks was in it. And I explained the whole thing about how like it was part of the Satanic Panic, and Tom Hanks's character he like pl- he larps once and immediately loses his grip on reality, and she's just sitting there in rapt attention, this like weird smile on her face is like this is the most ridiculous thing i've heard of how did anyone buy this they're all like super evangelical christians that's why one day i'll play D with my mom it'll be buck wild <laughs> um is there anything else we want to add to uh the nun 2 back in the habit <laughs> <laughs> um Pretty much the only ones getting out of this alive are our three main characters, and the French guy ends up becoming the guy possessed by Vlock partially and gets, you know, sets up the conjuring too. That's about it. So the ending is pretty much the same. Yeah. It's just the meat of the movie has been altered for historical accuracy. Yeah. Basically gutted and completely redone. Are we going to try and shoehorn Vlad into here since we're already in Transylvania? <sighs> we'll at least get a shout out because he cannot be ignored. Maybe, I don't know, during one of his campaigns, he stopped over there and did something awful back in the day. Maybe he's the one who put Valak in there. Yeah, because maybe his whole thing was like, oh, if I have Valak on my side, I can use him just in case I need some big super weapon against the Ottomans. Maybe Valak is the one who turned him into a vampire. And, then, and now we have folded Dracula Untold into the Conjuring universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a movie that I t- totally want to gut too. They actually had Baba Yaga involved in Dracula Untold and completely cut her part. Oh, that's bullshit! I know. I want the I want the complete Baba Yaga cinematic universe. Yes. Oh my god. Ugh. Nobody gets horror like you and I do, and we don't even watch a whole lot of horror. We we like the concept of horror. Yeah. Well, okay. The horror that I like is the Hammer Horror stuff from the 1960s. Nice. I like my Christopher Lee as Dracula. Nice. Apparently, as the movies went on and they got worse and worse and worse, he requested that his lines get cut increasingly more until oh, no, by the very last movie, he was just going, Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Chrissy Lee, you should have you should've just leaned into that even yeah. harder you can do it i believe in you you super spy you best monster movie character he was once a spy or, or a james bond villain he did he was sauron he was sauron he did it all he had a Wait, metal Christopher Lee was a bond villain or dracula was a bond villain not both because sauron did look like his version of dracula dracula does have a yeah dracula has a bit of bond villain in him like even in the original you texts know, you know what i could actually see a bit of a crossover <laughs> one day we're gonna cross over with the spectre podcast <laughs> and we're gonna create the james bond movie where he fights vampires oh my god bond would love it because of all the hot vampire women oh we got the best and worst of bond <laughs> all at once yeah <laughs> just Hot, gothy vampire chicks dripping off of him. Crikey. <laughs> okay, I, th- I think it's about time for us to wrap this yeah. up. <laughs> um, Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet? Um, I'm on Twitter 
um, at Lindsay M four seven six, and pretty much all of my other social media accounts are connected through there. Uh, Tanner, where can people find you at? I can be found on Twitter at Sparky Upstart, and also Not If I Reboot You First is part of the super fun network of podcasts, all of which can be reached on Twitter at RealSFN or by emailing the superfunnetwork at gmail.com. Any music used in this episode can be found in the show notes below. I'd also like to take this time to let listeners know that I was recently on an episode of Eurigar's Forge of Creation, which is also available through Apple Podcasts and Podbean. I am also going to be on an episode of The Home for Wayward OCs, which should be coming out shortly, or depending on when you listen to this, is already out. So them and their Twitters will be in the show notes as well, and check them out. They're also really good podcasts. Lindsay, do you want a hint for what I'll be bringing to you next week in week two of our uh, Oktoberfest? Sure. Hashtag Bite Squad. Ooh. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Oh, yeah. I forgot to ask you when I was outlining all the problems I had with the nun. Okay, at some point. During your editing, please put in the international when I point out the whole lack of communism in this. The the wish, the international. Yeah, the international. It is public domain, so. Is that with an e on the end? Yeah. Okay. Get the Russian version too, because that's the one that everybody automatically associates with communism. Yeah. Okay. I will throw some of those in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I took a semester of German, and that is a language that desperately needs vowels. I know one thing about the German language, and that is that the word for bet is Flutermausen, <laughs> and that's beautiful. Yes. So, anyway. I'm looking at my own face in your monitor, and I realize that there is absolutely no light. <laughs> Hang on, let me, let me be less Valak myself. <laughs> There. <laughs> <laughs> do you not have an overhead light? Or? I do, but the light switch is far away and I don't want to stand okay. up. <laughs>